I'd realize, oh, I don't know how this, you know, the sphincter between the two stomachs works. Uh, so I would just have to put a pin in that and talk to my experts later to try to navigate that little moment. I'm so um, glad it was you asking those questions because I do not want to know what happens <laughs> in the sphincter between the two stomachs. Yeah, yeah it was, uh, every inch had, had some surprise, that's for sure. Welcome to Horror Movie Survival Guide, Disco Citizens, the podcast where gore hounds and best friends, Terry Gamble and Julia Marchesi, break down a different horror movie each week, exploring a multitude of genres, sub-genres, and sub-sub-genres, classic and cult, international and underground flicks alike, determining which films are the goriest, and offering up Horror Movie Survival Guide tips to, to help, help you stay alive. Hello, Ditto Citizens. Welcome to Horror Movie Survival Guide. I'm Terry. I am Julia. We have some excitement for you this week. Yes, we are so happy to have Daniel Krause back on our show. Daniel is a New York Times bestselling writer of novels, TV, and film. His collaboration with the legendary filmmaker George A. Romero, who we talked about last time uh, with his novel, The Living Dead, was acclaimed by the New York Times and the Washington Post. With Guillermo del Toro, he is co-author of The Shape of Water, based on the same idea the two created for the Oscar-winning film. Also with del Toro, Krause has co-authored Troll Hunters, which was adapted into the Emmy-winning Netflix series. Uh, Krause's The Death and Life of Zebulon Finch was named one of Entertainment Weekly's top 10 books of the year. Krause has won the Bram Stoker Award, Scribe Award, two Odyssey Awards for both Rodders and Scowler, and has appeared multiple times as Library Guild selections for Yalsa, uh, Best Fiction for Young Adults, and more. Krause's work has been translated into over 20 languages, and he lives with his wife in Chicago. You guys can visit him at his website, danielkraus.com. Today, we are so thrilled to discuss his new novel, Whale Fall, and discuss the perfect film to pair with this tome, Orca, from 1977. Welcome back to Horror Movie Survival Guide, Daniel. Yay! Yay! Thanks. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I have a question for you. Where do you keep all those awards? Um, well, it depends. The ones that are like actual physical awards I have over here on my bookshelf, and then the ones that are more like certificates, um, I don't know where they are. <laughs> they're in my closet. I, I think they're in this closet here, but. Well, I, I hope you, I hope you look at those, those, those awards and are proud of yourself because you've done so much. And this is so cool that we get to join you on this new, this new book that you're, that you're bringing into the world. Yeah. I'm real excited about it. Well, so can you please give yeah. us the beginnings if you can? Us, um, yeah, because the last time you saw, yeah, and and because the last time we saw you, we were talking about the Living Dead. So, has what has been in between then and now? Mm. Yeah, right. So that was Living Dead was fall twenty twenty. So let's see. Um, a good time, a great time. Oh, <laughs> oof, oof. The, the best of times. <laughs> um, after that, I had a graphic novel called The Autumnal come out. Uh, and I've had three volumes of a trilogy called the Teddy Saga that was for kids. I had two adult novels, one called The Ghost of Adas and one called Wrath, a couple volumes of another middle grade trilogy called Graveyard Girls, and two more collected kind of graphic novels. So you've been busy. Yeah, actually. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Let's see, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 
10. 10 books in those last three years. Holy crap. That's, oh my goodness. Insane. Uh, that is a lot of books. How, that does it see, It seems impossible for a man to write, write so many books. Not even Stephen King did 10 books in three years, man. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there was a point where it, you know, a couple of years ago where it felt like it was too many. Um, not in a sense that, not, not because of the work. Like the work felt, you know, I'm just working at whatever pace feels natural. But like, I remember one time I had maybe three or four books coming out in a year and I just couldn't support them, you know? Like mm-hmm. I, I didn't have the bandwidth or the time to give each of them the attention they deserved. So it felt like I was kind of picking winners and losers and that was that's a bad spot to be in so i'm actually trying to slow down just a tad no write them all and then figure out your favorites and then just sell those <laughs> well you, no, you, know, you appreciate everything you make right and you, you savor them each one by one yeah so it's it's a bummer when i can't support them fully but i you mm-hmm. know you make a good point i remember you know hearing about stephen king back in the day like he had a couple trunk novels i think he called them mm-hmm. where he would just like he would have too much ma- too much output coming out and so he would just put one in a in, the, in a trunk essentially and yeah. eventually when the time was right and he had a gap he'd publish it so maybe i need to start doing that hey we yeah. can all take inspiration from some stephen king can we not right or like revisit it and whatever you want with it you know make it what you want so i love that exactly exactly yeah so what was the genesis, I guess? How did you get to Orca out of all these other 10 projects? How did you land on this on this thing? On Whalefall, oh, yes. Whalefall, sorry. Yes, Whalefall. Um, you know, a lot of my books take years and sometimes decades to come to fruition. So Whalefall was a really different case where it all kind of came at once, uh, which almost never happens for me. But uh, I had a couple friends. This was... This again was in 2020, late 2020. So again, wow. we're back in, back in Omicron, I think that would be. And uh, I had a couple friends who were talking about a viral video they had seen about a uh, couple kayakers sort of end up in the mouth of a whale that breaches right next to them. And they were all excited about it. And I hadn't seen the video, but um, for whatever reason, the idea almost fully formed popped into my head. And I was mm. just like, I wonder if anyone's taken the idea of being swallowed by a whale super seriously, like scientifically, biologically seriously. We all know that there have been, you know, biblical tales and Pinocchio right. and things like that where it's been taken sort of symbolically. But has anyone taken it seriously? So the next morning I, I uh, looked into it and was shocked to find that nobody had uh, so I got right to work. I started contacting whale scientists. I was to just about to it. ask the research because there's yep. so much science yep. in this book. Yes. You must have had to gone hard research wise, huh? I bet you know more <laughs> about whales than you ever thought you would. Oh yeah. Super hard. Like, you know, it's usually I kind of come up with a story obviously, and then research what I need to know. In this case, I couldn't even make a story because I didn't know it was possible. Uh, mm-hmm. so it had to begin with, it began with months of research, basically, and not book research because there's no research on this, really. It was all in person or, you know, I guess we were over Zoom, but it was yeah, direct conversations, yeah. direct conversations, yeah, with um, experts. And just over a period of months, just piece by piece, talking through the 
innards of a whale to find out what was physically possible um, and what could po- what could the diver possibly do? Because I have the slightest idea. And what, um, so have you ever gone diving? Lead them. Yeah, you know, I'm not a water guy. Like, I, I grew up in Iowa. There's no, there's no, there's some lakes out there, I guess, but I'm, I'm not a swimmer. Um, so I had, had no real interest in diving, but I did learn to scuba dive for the book. Oh. Um, how was that? How was that? <laughs> well, it was, it was kind of, it was scary and great. You know, like I had to do it. My, my character is in a scuba suit the entire book. Uh, so I had to know what it sounded like and felt like and all that stuff. Uh, and it was kind of amazing. What, what I don't think anyone had ever fully explained to me is that scuba diving is perfect if you're not a good swimmer. Uh, because you don't have to swim. Essentially, the, the gear you're wearing is like a, like a little submarine almost. Like you're piloting yourself with a joystick sort of. Oh, so you gosh. don't have to be a good swimmer. Uh, that sounds very, uh, very, um, um, the joystick thing, sorry, just triggered me thinking about the submersible recently. Yeah. Um, so he wasn't far off with the joystick analogy of how you're piloting, I guess, uh, yourself underwater. No, no, it's like, it's kind of, it's like you're a device that you are sort of piloting and there's not really much swimming involved at all and you can breathe which is miraculous it's, a, it's yeah, i've never been please explain it and how it how it colored the way you were able to describe it in your book well i mean it covered everything like you know it's first of all the gear is extraordinarily heavy um so you you know you strap it on and you know and i'm relatively fit but like i didn't expect when i stood up after strapping it on just how um, incredibly heavy it is uh, and so you're kind of dying to get into the water once you have it on, because once you hit the water, you're weightless and all the, all the sort of, uh, strain of it is gone. And, you know, it's, it's kind of what you think it's going to be like it, all you can sort of hear is the, the, the breathing that you're doing. So it's almost like similar to when you watch a movie with like an astronaut or something, you're kind of hearing your breath. Mm-hmm. It is those first couple breaths for a non-swimmer like me were scary because you think for sure you're going to be breathing water, but somehow you're breathing air, and that's pretty incredible. Uh, and then you're just learning how to operate the the BCD, so that's the 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 vest you're wearing, which then you can control with this sort of pump to make you go to sink you down further. Or raise you up, and then your mo- motor is basically your legs that you're kicking around. Um, and once you sort of trust the system, it's it's like flying. It really is yeah. pretty cool. That's beautiful. Wow, where where did you get to do that at? Oh, you're gonna love this. You're probably imagining me in some gorgeous Caribbean. Uh, I was. I was. Oh no. Oh no. So you remember, you gotta remember again. We're in the middle of COVID, and like I, at, at this particular point, um, it was particularly impossible to travel. So what I got was I, I happened to know just by chance, two guys here, I live in Chicago who are scuba diving, like fanatics and, you know, have all their licenses and stuff. 
So we went scuba diving in Lake Michigan. I was going to be like one of the lakes. Uh, <laughs> oh God. Yeah. And it was, <laughs> it was the opposite of <laughs> kind of what you want your scuba diving experience to be. Like it was, it was murky. It was dark. It was, I'm lucky I didn't see like some dead bodies while I was down there. Honestly, (laughs) this is perfect for your book though, Daniel. I know it's probably not the most idyllic situation to learn in, but honestly, it feels like it informs what you, the terror (laughs) of the waters that you invoke. Uh, These asbestos, you know, ridden, lead, you know, disgusting runoff water that this diver goes into. (laughs) It was kind of spooky, like Mm -hmm. because you couldn't see very far ahead of you. Uh, but despite all of that, it was still amazing. Like, like that's how cool it was that even though I, I look like I'm in a, uh, a sewer or something, it still was an incredible experience. And I, and I would now, like, I look forward to doing it somewhere beautiful, like uh, now that I'm able to. Right. That's in the future for you, my friend. That that will help. definitely happen. So do you know, is there, besides uh, our, our symbolic references, is it is there anyone on known record that actually has been swallowed by a whale or is it one of those things where if they did with they're like oh they just disappeared on the sea and no one knows why yeah there's there's no records of anyone being swallowed by a whale there are um hoaxes for sure like mm-hmm. there's um there's a famous one I'm blanking on his name right now but there's a famous one from the i don't know turn of the century or something uh where it was a whaler who supposedly got swallowed and when the whale was brought the sperm whale was brought about aboard the whaling boat they cut it open and they found this guy in the stomach and he was alive and his his skin had been bleached by the acids and his hair was white he was insane that's a great story yeah uh but it's all false like yeah. <laughs> you, you, you there's no way first of all you wouldn't turn white that's ridiculous and secondly you'd be dead there's no air in a whale so you would have to be a scuba diver. Right. Um, and all the videos you see, every year we get a couple videos and stories about people being swallowed by whales. And those are all, all those headlines are misleading. Like almost all whales have tiny throats that are like the shape of a, a beer can or something. There's no way they're swallowing a person. So when they, you see headlines saying someone is swallowed, they, what they have been is mouthed. So... Mm-hmm. You know, mm. you can accidentally end up in the path of a breaching whale and end up in its mouth, but it can't do anything with you. So it'll immediately spit you out. Uh, it would like be like, if, you know, there was suddenly uh, a racquetball in our mouth. <laughs> you're, you're gonna, you can't swallow it. You're going to spit it out. Wow. Uh, not, that's not to say that wouldn't be a scary experience. I'm not discounting that. And you could certainly get injured. Um, but no, it has never happened. So that's. That's um, that's was part of my initial question to the experts was, is this possible? And that's when I was so thrilled, I guess, to be to find the answer was yes. Like if it were particularly a sperm whale, sperm whales are the only whales that have the giant throats because they eat colossal squid and gigantic squid all mm-hmm. day long. So that particular kind of whale. And if you had a kind of slender scuba diver, because they have, you know, tanks on their back, so that makes them thicker, mm-hmm. uh, it is theoretically possible. And so after that, it was kind of off to the races. 
Yeah. I know you said this wasn't like a symbolic thing, but I feel like I just kept seeing all these symbolic connections to like religion and oh, yeah. life and loss and everything in this book. So I was just curious um, how that informed you or, or um, you know, since this was very literal, but it's still, like I said, all the symbols were there. What was kind of, I guess, the impetus for that or what uh, what are your influences in that? Uh, and can, yeah. I inter- can I interject in that question? Um, I, I would not grow up religious at all. I know about Jonah and the Whale, but symbolically, I have no idea within the greater context what it, what it is saying. Between monastery, between uh, his his savior friend being Tarshish, being like a lot of the stuff is all like Bible stuff, Julia. Like most of the no, book. I know I know it is, but that's the thing. Yeah. Like that, those kind of references are going over my head, so I know that that right. is symbolic. But it was symbolic for for what? Yeah, yeah, right. So yeah, I mean the initial idea was very very practical. It was just sort mm-hmm. of could could one write a survival story about this and do it with scientific accuracy and all that. But that alone is not a book. Like that's that's an interesting survival story. But uh, usually what takes the additional years of planning is that other thing. Like what are the characters doing? What's the point of this book? What are the themes? Uh, this time though, it hit me right away um, that it was gonna be this kind of father-son story. And we can get into that if you want. But, but as far as like, um, uh, the the symbolism of it, um, you know, you say swallowed by a whale, and everyone thinks the exact same thing. They think Jonah, um, and then some people may think Pinocchio. Uh, and this book also has sort of a second holy text, which is Canary Row. So, Canary yeah, Row is Steinbeck's book set in Monterey, um, and so these these things were just sort of there. Like I, I knew that these these touchstones were there for people and that I might as well make some hay of them. You know? Yeah. You definitely honored them. I actually can hear your pen clicking too. just give a side sidebar. I love it. Oh, sorry. I'm okay with it. Cause I think it's adorable, but I just want to make sure just for audio. Um, yeah, it's a, I have a habit of, um, I, I used to always play with this knife while, while I was on podcast. So I decided I got to stop doing that. So, Oh, this I is more of... movie survival guide, though. That kind of fits in, doesn't it? We kind of yeah. love a knife play. Um, I'm here for it. Um, <laughs> but I, I love how also you're using the PSI and pressure to build tension as well. So I just wasn't sure if that was part of your holy trinity or air or something. I thought I just kept seeing so much of that crisscrossing. Yeah. Um, I mean, if, if you're going to write a book that people are, are already going to be thinking about Jonah, you might as well use Jonah in a mm-hmm. sort of subtle way. Like, you don't have to know jack squat about jonah and it doesn't matter you can read the book and it'll all make sense and be fun like uh, me <laughs> yes, exactly. I, can, I can attest to that <laughs> but if you do if you are familiar with jonah there's a lot that's planted in the book a lot lot like it depends how deep you want to go yeah um, but really the whole the larger message of the book which is uh sort of divided the book is divided into two sections the first one's called truth and the second one's called mercy and that kind of comes directly from jonah and it did help me solidify what the major um sort of relationship drama of the book was going to be so in some ways although i'm not religious either um i write a lot about religion i'm, I'm just fascinated by it uh, did you grow up in any type of faith or anything yeah, like we were, we were in Iowa. My family went to a Presbyterian church, which, as far as I can tell, is just sort of like 
the most average sort of Midwestern type of church church. Yep. Uh, nothing, nothing specially weird there. We weren't handling snakes or anything. Uh, and don't sound so disappointed, Julia. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and so, yeah, I was never really, even back then, really much of a, a believer. But I, what I do believe in, obviously, is people and their belief systems and what they choose to make their spirituality. Like Mitt, the, the sort of dad in Wellfall, mm-hmm. he's, he's very sort of virulently anti-religion. Uh, but he, has his, he is totally spiritual, though. Like he's, <clears throat> he's got tattoos instead of crucifixes. Uh, his religion is the sea. Yeah, nature is his god. I think he doesn't even say something like that or have a tattoo kind of. Similar yeah, to he's that. got something something to that effect that I think is a quote from um, Cannery Row. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know the the whale beings like whales are sort of his equivalent of gods or angels or things like that. So the the book sort of plays with this idea of what spirituality can mean to anyone whether or not they have any interest in organized religion or not i'm also curious besides the religion point about the climate change kind of aspect of the book and the environment and just wondering what that you know um i guess i don't know what your overall message or what your thoughts were on connecting that with this story um yeah uh it it's sort of based on the idea that um sort of counter to something like Jaws, uh, I, I I was really influenced actually by Jaws in the, in, this, in the sense of Peter Benchley, the author, and his wife, Wendy, sort of their career post-Jaws. Like they wrote this, or he wrote this book, um, Jaws, and it became this huge hit, and he re- regretted it sort of for the rest of his life because he painted sharks in a way that wasn't really accurate and Peter and Wendy spent the rest of their lives being shark activists and sort of trying to um, bring attention to uh, sharks in gen and more specifically, but also the ocean environmentalism. And I really wanted to make sure that the whale was in no way a bad guy in this. Like mm-hmm. it has, it has no interest in hurting Jay, the diver. Uh, it, can't help its own biology. Like once Jay is accidentally swallowed, it's pretty terrible in, inside a whale's stomach. But the whale itself is this is a is kind of a friend to humans. There's nothing really threatening about a whale. There are these incredible, even yeah, kind of godlike creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the if anything, we are sort of just you know. Well, I mean, obviously, we're sort of destroying whale habitats. Um, we are anytime you have things like an increase of shark attacks or anything like that, it's all, it's almost always because we have disturbed their environment Mm -hmm. and we have, we're out in their territory, the water, which is most of the world. The, the dry land that we live on is like a tiny little crust of what the earth is. Uh, the, the main earth is the water. Mm-hmm. And we're out there invading their area. And, you know, when, once you really start studying whales, you find out about how much junk they've swallowed. Like yeah. whale stomachs are just filled with... With our trash. Well, 
are trash and mostly plastics, like mm-hmm. uh, just tons. I mean, I can't remember the, the stats, but they're incredible amounts of plastic. And a lot of times that's why they die, is they eat too much plastic, their, their stomachs think they're full, and they starve to death. Um, and but but what that from a narrative point of view that opened up some possibilities because my diver's stuck in the stomach and the only hope he has to get out are well there's two things the with the objects the whale has accidentally swallowed are going to be in the stomach with him so if he can maybe fashion some of those swallowed objects into tools and then secondly and most importantly in the book uh, his best chance of getting out is through a sort of reconciliation with his estranged father, and who, who becomes sort of embodied by the whale. And if he can sort of come to terms with his dad, he can remember some of the lessons his dad tried to teach him about survival, and he might be able to get out of the whale if he can. We are all about survival here on Horror yeah, Survival yeah. Guide. That's Word. our that's our deal. But I have a question for you. As a writer, what happens when you get to a point in any of your works where you're just like, I don't know what happens next? Well, in this book, that, that couldn't happen because uh, I was not going to write it until I had every minute of his journey plotted out. Uh, because I don't, I just don't know enough about whales. Like I, I knew he had about one hour of air, so I needed to have. I needed to know. I mean, there's so there's such a limited like geography in there. Like, there's really only two stomachs and a throat that a, that a person can can maneuver through it all. So, I needed to know everything that was possible for him to do inside that whale. Uh, so that that wasn't going to be an issue with this one. There were occasionally details that I would just have to write figure this out later <laughs> after talking with the scientists, like I'd realize, Oh, I don't know how this, you know, the sphincter between the two stomachs works. Uh, so I would just have to put a pin in that and talk to my experts later to try to f- navigate that little moment. I'm so uh, glad it was you asking those questions. Cause I do not want to know what happens <laughs> in the sphincter yeah. between the two stomachs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was uh, every inch had, had some surprise. That's for sure. But generally, you know, I do outline. So, you know, I rarely come across huge stumbling blocks like that. Um, I spend a lot of time outlining. So I I fight a lot of those battles before most of the writing. Okay. I mean, you're, and it clearly works because look, I mean, you are, you are an impressive. 10 books later in the last couple of years since we talked to you. Um, Amazing. I Um, love that that what you do is all over the place though. I think that's fantastic. And that's really the way to be in life and to, to, to have an idea like this just spawn from a random video, right? Like how crazy is that? And then to go as deep as you've gone and now you've like exhausted the subject for yourself. I think that's creativity at its best. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, it's, I, out of all my books, I think this is my favorite one. Um, and part of that is just, I think, how different it was of an experience to work on it and write it and just how how simple and powerful the premise is, I think. Like there's something about it that, you know, again, out of, of all my books, I've never seen a book hit, a book of mine hit people as hard as this one does. Like it's, I think there's a simplicity yeah. and a primordial sort of reaction people have to the premise that 
immediately when you describe it, people get it. They get the stakes. They get the sort of cultural weight of it. Um, it's it's been an interesting journey so far, for sure. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I yeah. What were you gonna say, Julia? Just I'm I'm excited for everybody to read it because I think that they're all gonna really enjoy it because we did and and on several levels, right? Terry had this deeper symbolic level. I had a surface level, and and any way you read it is gonna be good. It's so much, and just it, it really made me um you know look at like god man like you know the god of our our universe whatever it is you know what i mean and um i thought the whale was like the holy ghost and like you know we have the son father son and then even dealing with like jay's like queerness or whatever his otherness um on this planet i thought was really interesting too um do you want to speak to that a little bit as well or just like i don't know some of the undertones of like how was you know the masculinity conversation yeah there's there's a lot of that like it doesn't go it, the book does not go hard into his like self-identification or sexuality mm-hmm. or anything like that. Uh, there's a little hint of you know him being a little uncertain about that kind of stuff, but it, the book does lean heavily into masculinity, heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know he has sort of this father who's a local diving legend and known as just this great man of the sea who uh, has sort of felt overly domesticated by the life he has ended up in and, you know, wants, but wants to be this free spirit who just dives and doesn't have to have a full-time job. And, uh, and he's trying to drag his son into it for his whole life, trying to make him a copy of the right kind of man, what a man should be. And he sort of, Mitt, the dad, is sort of out of time with that idea. Like, uh, that's that's a, a I don't know, just a bad way to bring someone up. Uh, yeah, like I think a the relic most, of a bygone era for sure. And that, yeah, respect. and I unfortunately it's you know not too much of a relic. It's still out there. Yeah. To me, the the moment in the book that encapsulates this the most is this little flashback where um, Jay's sister and sisters and mom are going to go to a a water theme park and uh jay really wants to go with them but his dad was like i thought you were going out to the ocean with me today you know and in his dad's point of view why would you go to a plastic commercial theme park when the real ocean is right there you know like ocean you want to go versus the world yeah yeah and you want to go off and play with your sisters and your mom you know and that's something that it, it, it hurts to me to think about that because I can remember things like that in my life where you feel diminished, you feel like you're being called out as being less of a man, um, mm. you know, because you want to do something with the women. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a really poisonous uh, way to, to try to propagate a certain kind of masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, and But what's interesting about this book is it doesn't really damn anyone. Like, he does sort of need his dad to get out of this fix he's in. And he was, as bad as his dad was to him, he was kind of bad to his dad in a way too. Like, I'm not saying everything's equal, but like, everyone does have choices they've made in this book and regrets 
And, you know, it, the question again becomes is, can mercy be stronger than truth? Can, can they forgive them each other for what they've done uh, in a way that might save both of them? They need each other. The Trinity needs each other to get out of the situation, right? So Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Beautiful. Yeah, that's a great way to mm-hmm. put it. Yeah. And, yeah. and since we are on the on the subject, you did bring a movie with you today as well that for us to talk about. Uh, and you 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 gave us a few, but this one was the winner. So tell us what what are we talking about today? Okay, so you know, I, I'm doing on my book too, I'm doing a couple events in movie theaters. And nice. so in, in doing that, we had to think, uh what movie should we pair this with? Mm-hmm. And the, the only really, if you're doing a shark book, man, you have probably That's 200 movies to choose from. But there's, it got me realizing how few whale movies are out there. And the ones that do exist, they're like Free Willy or whatever. They're yeah. like these yeah, kind of nice. Free Willy was not part of this conversation. Come no. on, man. <laughs> I don't know if that counts as a horror, but you no, know, it depends on your perspective. So. It, it does. Yeah. If you're a whale, maybe yes. Yeah, horrible to watch for sure. The The only real option as far as like scary whale movie is 1977's Orca. AKA, AKA Orca, the killer whale, just in case people didn't know what an orca was. I mean, the killer whale just by itself seems like a better title to me. Uh, yeah, I wonder, my guess is with that, because I had a, that was the very first thought I had upon rewatching this. Was why didn't they just call it the killer whale? Uh, my my guess is that it sounded a little too B movie. Ah. Like they've got some they've got some serious actors in this movie. Sure. Uh, and maybe and they Charlotte were freaking to... Rampling like goddess. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, with your parents. But yeah. Orca yeah, also fits in the same like if they're trying to make a poster that looks like Jaws because this does come out in between Jaws, the original Jaws and Jaws two. Um, if you're trying to make it look like it fits on the same type of poster, Orca is like the same. You know, as far as fonts. Uh, could look like Jaws. I think that's sure. what the impetus it, obviously is. Right, because <laughs> so you can have the, the slew of Jaws, uh, you know, wannabes that come out, out after this movie, uh, some of varying qualities, uh, right? So, like, let's just make a Jaws adjacent. And I, the thing that kind of pains me about this movie is you have Morricone, who they've clearly just been like, can you can you kind of just do John Williams' score, but just a little bit different? And you're like, oh, but he's Morricone, man. Let him do his thing. <laughs> Yeah, it's it is. You're right. Orca has got the same number of letters as Jaws, uh, and I think this clearly again there were as you said a slew of Jaws movies, and some of them were you know sharks. They were grizzlies and you know various other animal movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but this was clearly I think of all those the big budget one. Yeah, yep. they were really trying to 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 go for it with this one with Richard Harris and Charlotte Rampling and Morricone. And like, you can tell this is a, this movie has a budget. Oh yeah. The effects, everything. Yes. Um, it's beautiful. Um, so yeah, let's, let's get into this movie. Julia, do you have any, any, any stats for this, this particular beautiful movie or anything else you know about it that you wanted to 
I, I have no, I have no, no alternate universe casting, which I am sad about, but I can't be, I can't be bothered because this, this casting is so incredible. I would like to shout out, and this is jumping forward quite a bit, but Robert Carradine is in this movie incredibly, mm-hmm. incredibly briefly, clearly just his body count. And I just like, Hey, <laughs> why didn't we get more Robert Carradine? I was excited when I saw his name in it. Yeah. Yeah. Aww. They did not give us enough. So um, this is a tale. This is a tale of a, a captain um, who is uh, it, it intent on making some money by potentially capturing a, a whale. And, you know, he is also aided uh, whether she wanted to be the aid or not by the beautiful Charlotte Rampling, who is a professor, a doctor, basically brilliant uh, woman of science and uh, is a whale expert. Um, and we have some other fun stuff throughout of, you know, dealing with Inuit culture and what that could mean possibly for the fishermen and this big old uh, mission to catch a whale. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, there is this, we all know that this is, this is movies, thing, animals are not being hurt here, but there is a lot of kind of painful sequences of watching these animals get hurt. And the whole deal is that, you know, the female gets hurt and the male is now furious and wants revenge, uh, which apparently uh, we've learned recently uh, is a real thing. Yeah. I mean, the, there's been a spate of sort of orca, uh, what seemed like a revenge attacks in the news. Yeah, we. I was reading a little article, though. I think I shared it with Julia because I was like, Julia, this is really happening um, <laughs> in the world right now. And how strange because we watched this movie together of like, oh, my God, I was like, this is what's happening literally right now. The orcas are mad or they might not be mad. They just are just uh, uh, in defense. I think it's like self-defense, like you talked about a little bit, too, of just like our we're polluting their waters. We're doing some you know nefarious things maybe out in the sea. And they are not happy with it and are, are fighting back and trying to expel, you know, the poisons, the toxins, whatever is happening around them. Um, so in this story, unfortunately, um, this captain, uh, Nolan, in his greed, tries to get a female um, orca and uh, she happens to actually be with child. And the father uh, sees uh, this, uh, her get captured and has got his eyes set on Captain Nolan Um and it is a tete-a-tete of this guy versus the whale. I mean, I will say it is, you know, like, like maybe the recent arc attacks have given this movie a tiny bit more believability, but it is the most anthropomorphized animal I've ever seen in a film. Like this... Do you mean the close-up of his eyes didn't 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 get to you? Because I cried a little bit. <laughs> isn't, like isn't, this... Jaw, isn't Jaws specifically going after them as well? Well, I think it, in Jaws, the revenge, that's what it does. Jaws 4, the shark yeah. is, it's personal, was the tagline to that. <laughs> uh, but, but this is just, this beats, this beats Jaws 4 to the, to the punch, because this is all personal. And this, this orca, man, it like cries, somehow mm-hmm. it cries underwater. It cries literal tears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it, it knows this guy on sight and is like the most brilliant animal uh, ever just trying to destroy this one man uh which is interesting because all of this is giving you sympathy for the whale right you, they want you to be on the whale side really they're, as hard as they push that and they push it hard they're like hey humans we're the bad guys i'm like yeah, yeah we got it guys <laughs> jesus but what's weird is that like both and this again it's just heavy-handed as hell but 
they they make it so that Richard Harris also lost his pregnant wife. Right. So you have a, 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 an orca and a man who have each lost their a pregnant partner who are sort of going to uh, face off now, uh, which is really wacky. Well, we can, we, there's, there's screen, I mean, there's lots of, we got a lot of people who are writing the script. So we've talked about this, uh, quite a bit. And, you know, I, I wonder, they must have pitched it to Richard Harris and Charlotte Rampling is like, this is the next Jaws. We're going to do better than Jaws, right? Which is ambitious, uh, but not really the case. And I, and I wonder how it felt for those actors to, to, to have been had, you know, because I don't often, I've talked to a lot of people who are on film crews and they, I talk about on set. Can you tell on set if this movie will be good or not? And almost a hundred percent, they say, yes, you can tell that if something will be a hit or not. And I wonder how this felt on set. Well, I can tell you that uh, I was looking at the Wikipedia for Orca this morning and Richard Harris uh, halfway through shooting, or at some point during shooting, saw a tabloid magazine layout of his wife with a younger man, <gasps> and he started he started drinking heavily and wanted to leave the production to go kill them. Oh, <laughs> wow! So like, uh, so I I think he was uh, a little unhappy, <laughs> to say the least, during shooting. Uh, so and I honestly, I just don't. I don't necessarily buy that they could have lured Richard Harris to Charlotte Rampling with a quality. Like, clearly, Jaws was such a juggernaut. Mm -hmm. uh, this, by script alone, should have been clear this was no Jaws. I'm guessing they just gave them a lot of money. Yeah. What that's norm like. that's normally the answer. They're like, why is this actor in this? I'm like, ah, oh, they paid him a lot. That's kind of well, why. It's either that or I'm gonna give him a little bit of the doubt as I'm looking at beautiful Bo Derek on this IMDB right now and remembering that she's in this movie as well. Uh young, lovely Bo Derek. I feel like uh, some of these people, like maybe her, maybe Will Sampson, maybe some of the other folks are in it because maybe they have an environmental stake in it. Because I feel like this movie um, you know, goes pretty hard. Like I feel like I feel like that's, you know feels like more of a modern um, era thing where we talk about the environment more, but this movie from 1977 really, I think goes pretty hard about how we treat, you know, animals in the ocean um, as well. So maybe, yeah. maybe there's a little piece of that besides a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. I'd buy that. Uh, I also want to make sure we didn't, as long as we're talking sort of about Jaws, like this movie has the biggest middle finger to another movie I've ever seen in my life. So the movie starts out with a shark attack. Yep. And right before the shark can get the, the human, a whale freaking rams the shark out of the water. Like, and it's almost as if it's saying, oh, you thought Jaws was bad. Well, this, this orca just beat the shit out of Jaws. Like this, <laughs> yeah. this, yeah. this orca's the, the top dog in the, in the ocean. This That's is De Laurentiis, yeah. right? Like this is as soon as I see his name, I'm like, ah, oh, okay, I know what I'm in for, right? Like there's gonna be he has no matter how high he goes, there is a slight B movie elements to his movies, yep. no matter what he does. Oh yeah, yeah. This has got B movie all over it, despite all the 
the very classy actors in it. I kind of love a, a B movie with classy actors. That makes me very happy. Like Charlotte Rampling's so out of place in this movie, and oh. I go, I like it. I like she's in it. I will and say Will though, Sampson. I, yeah, that's what I was just gonna say. I was just gonna say if this could be about Umalak and and how he's dealing with the whale, I think I would like this movie more. Yeah, he he seems to be the most to me the most interesting and underused character. Agreed. Um, like he could have. I I was excited when he showed up, but then he didn't really do much. I know. Well, he, and then they he, just he used get, him as more body count. Yeah. I know. He he got a little bit more screen time than Robert Carradine, though, because Robert Carradine yeah. really like popped out out of nowhere. I was like, wait, has he been on us both this whole time? Where yeah. did he come from? His lines got cut. I think. Oh, I oh, bet he yeah. got really excited and like brought all his friends to the premiere and he's like, oh, I just die. <laughs> Sorry, but I guaranteed, guaranteed that's what happened. Oh my God. <laughs> that was my, my very first movie when I moved to uh, LA was a movie called Crips, C-R-Y-P-T-Z. And I was Sorry. in it and I was so excited and I, I got to be in makeup and it was really, really cool. And I had this party where I brought all my friends over to watch it and I was cut out. You could see me like right there. And then that was it. And I was so crushed. But uh, sorry. it's okay. But we all, Orca. yeah, yeah. Uh, we all but have Orca. that. But yeah, but Jacob Umalek, that character, I, yeah, I definitely wanted more. And I was just really excited to see him in this film as well. Um, I don't but, really uh, very scary though. Oh no, there's nothing scary here. Uh, there's, you know, it has that one great set piece where uh, Bo Derek is inside the the, the house. Ah, yes, okay, the that's, house. yeah, that's a good one. The boathouse, and, yes, yeah, mm-hmm. and the the whole house turns like diagonal as the as the um, orca slamming the sort of pillars that hold it up, and that's cool because you have a whole sideways sort of set. Yeah, um, it's like a cliff that's about as, yeah, that's a about literal cliffhanger. Hey. Yeah. That's about as tense as the movie gets. And also, I mean, this is a kind of a spoiler here, but I did not expect Bo Derek's legs to get chopped off. Yeah. yeah. In a cast. I was like, ooh, plastered. Chomped. Uh-uh. <laughs> um, yeah, that well got I, plastered. No, it's, I didn't it's, even know it was her yeah. until the credits. And I was like, ah, oh, huh, okay, there you go. But this is, you know, one of her very first movies. I'm sure she was very excited as well. Um, I just, I guess I feel like there's, with you, like when I think about, you know, I don't, because whales have been bred for us with, with SeaWorld and Shamu and the whole bit to be these very friendly. They look like they have the big, these big smiles, mm-hmm. but then you to turn these into these monstrous creatures. I think it's hard to do when your face looks like that. Like a, a shark's yeah. face just looks genuinely scary. Yes. Yes. And I, you know, in whale fall, I kind of make this comparison because really Really, orcas are scarier than whales. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, scarier than sharks. They are they are really the scariest thing in the ocean. Uh, but you're right, sharks look a lot scarier. And I make this comment in Whale Fall that um, there's a sort of evil clown look to orcas because yeah. they they're sort of they've got these big natural smiles and their teeth are really almost disturbingly tidy, like they have these little round perfectly spaced teeth that in a way are kind of creepy because they seem so cheery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We love a scary clown here. So that just fits sure right do. in. I mean, clown core is back in and I'm very excited about it, but I like that the whales can also, yeah, it's, I think it's a perfect comparison. They do look like that. And I think, you know, having this feeling that this movie, like, 
I don't know what I'm trying to say, Terry. That's okay. <laughs> no, i sorry. I was just like, you just revealed your TikTok algorithm is all I could think about your uh, clown core um, and things oh. that we love loved, loved to look at. I love it. I, I, um, I've seen it in real life. I wasn't just talking about online. Like I've seen oh girls in real life come out in clown core. It's great. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but I... Um, I don't know. This this movie is just it's such a such a weirdo, but I really enjoyed it. I, I'm not and I'm not trying to knock it for those who are listening and want it wanted an actual like I think it's really funny. And also like I just could not stop yelling about the orcas right now taking over because like from that beginning scene where Charlotte Rampling is discussing the brains of orcas and how they actually have, you know, more complex brains than humans and that they actually have a communication system and all that stuff that feeds into how they could organize. Um, yeah. And I'm just curious. I know I feel like people have been tweeting and retweeting stuff to you a bunch lately as well, too, or messaging, you know, on the internets to you, um, Daniel, about um, all this stuff. How do you what do you think about the tie in with like the brilliance since you've been studying them so much? Is that plausible or what do you think about this whole uh, yeah. orcas taking out I, boat situation? I, I do think it's a, a little plausible, um, like whales of which orcas are one uh, are really, really smart. Um, you know, it's like whales are right up there with, uh, simians and humans, you know, like it's, it, they are incredibly intelligent and I know less about orcas than I do sperm whales, but I can tell mm -hmm. you that sperm whales have massively complex languages, um, and they can communicate over long distances and they can work together. Uh, orcas definitely work together to attack. That's how, I mean, orcas are the only predator to sperm whales. Uh, and they can take down a spermo, which is much bigger by wow. working, in con in, working in concert. And but spermos, of course, are also really intelligent. So if if there's a, a weak or older sperm whale being attacked by a bunch of orcas, the sperm whale can cry out, and a bunch of other sperm whales, if they're close enough, will come and help protect it. So they they do have this ability to to gather the troops in a way. Wow. That, and our sperm because or as we're as you're saying orcas hunt in packs in like a wolves kind of way um and i know sperm whales aren't really necessarily aren't predators but it, do they are they generally alone do they yeah it the, the females raise the young essentially and the the mature adult male sperm whales they become the real loners in the sea they 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 just sort of head off on their own and only come back to pods when they are when they want to breed um but as i said they can communicate over massive distances so they could call out a distress call and a pod of whales if they're close enough uh will come to their assistance such fascinating creatures and and the sea is is so fascinating and so terrifying all at the same time isn't it <laughs> it is uh uh i before we finish talking about the movie, I want to mention one other scene just because it is the most what the fuck scene in the whole movie. Please. And I can't believe we haven't talked about it yet. It's uh, right near the beginning. Uh, so Richard Harris has caught the female uh, whale. No, I'm sorry, the female orca. And it suddenly ejects a fetal oh, yeah. ba baby orca onto the deck of the ship. Like yeah. that is the and I most love that we, bonkers we thing I've ever seen. And we know exactly what it is because we've just seen uh, Charlotte Rampling give a like lecture um, just about this and showing a picture of it. So as soon as you see it, your brain is like just been primed for it. 
it is so that's, distressing that is hard that is going way way hard it is like this horrible eraser head looking <gasps> baby it's so awful it's like suddenly this movie which is really kind of like pg action movie is like a super intense like horror flick for about one minute yeah uh where it, that is like so much more intense than the rest of the film it's like the day, it, the day yeah. David Cronenberg came over, took in for a yeah. day, and then he <laughs> and then left. <laughs> I would, I would prefer Cronenberg's uh, version of this movie. I think <laughs> would be could Oof. be something. Well, we do have to rate this movie, so Daniel, you do have to help us. We have to start out with our gore factor. Uh, one is not enough blood to fill a Dixie cup. Two is a puddle of blood. Three is enough blood to gross out the average viewer. Four is a bathtub of blood. And five is run for the barf bag. I think ejecting a fetal whale on the deck gives it a five. I think that for me, that's what I say. <laughs> uh, I think it's a four, but I it was pretty bad. That was pretty bad. I'm going to go much lower. I think that that one instance is like a 10 and yeah. then the rest of the book, or so the rest of the movie, is probably a two. There's not a lot of gore in. Well, Bo Derek's leg getting bitten off. Yeah, that's pretty bloody. That's pretty good. What do we? Well, I, I'm happy with a four. Let's go. Let's go with a four. Um, and then Terry, would you give us our yeah. movie ratings, please? Sure. Uh, chainsaws. One, if you're desperate. Two, barely qualifies as a horror film. Three, seen worse, seen better. Four, not too shabby. And five, fantastic oracle. Well, you know. I'm going to give this a three seen worse, seen better. I'm not mad at it. I would pair it with like underwater um, Kristen Stewart movie that we uh, rated not too long ago. Um, If you like a little like giant squid Cthulhu kind of style action um, and then watch, uh, you know, this one and then read whale fall. I feel like it's a perfect uh, if you're trying to get undersea uh, information since we only know about 90%, you know, 90% of, of the water is unknown to us. I think that would be, you know, these are all good starts. No, I think that's a good. It's good advice. I read Wellfall and then watched this, and I was like, "This is perfect." You just go. It's a. It's a double double treat. Uh, I gave this a three as well. Seen worse, seen better. It was. It was. I liked Charlotte Rampling and all of her jumpsuits. <laughs> she was so beyond hot, and she and her outfits looked like Ray from Star Wars, like the whole time. Yes. And we were just like, "Wow." If someone I feel like was watching this and then like got inspo for uh, Ray's outfits from this movie, I would not be surprised. <laughs> Daniel, Daniel, do you have any thoughts on ratings for this movie? Is it Charlotte? Uh... Charlotte Rampling gets a five. Yes, uh, yes, the, the, agreed. The, move, the movie, I'm going to uh, agree and say three. It's like I don't, I don't regret the time I spent with it. It's, it's, it's a little goofy, but like some of its goofiness is so bonkers that like it really needs to be seen. <laughs> Yeah. I was laughing a lot because yes, I would just it does go hard in places that you don't expect it. But also I just love how angry Richard Harris' little face and just there was a lot going on. But knowing the behind the scenes, what you just told us about it makes a lot more sense. It looks like he just channeled that uh sadness and revenge uh into his performance, uh for sure. Terry, yeah, Terry and I were laughing because of, of course Richard Harris is iconic. Uh, but in in she 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 can attest. I kept I kept shouting out who he looked like to me, and I was like, Rutger Hauer, no, Paul Hogan, Peter O'Toole, Brando, Olivier. Like he just like at certain points in the movie looked like I was like he's this weird mashup of all these people who are fantastic people. It is he he is about the most unhappy looking person I've ever seen in a movie. Like yeah. he, he looks so miserable. Luckily, it works for his character, you know? 
Um, Thank you so much for coming to talk to us today about Whalefall and Orca. So tell people where they can find Whalefall and what you have coming up next and where they can find you. Uh, You can find me at danielcrafts.com and particularly while I'm on Whalefall tour, you can uh, go to my Twitter account because I'll be posting from the road. Um, And uh, yeah, Whalefall comes out or has come out depending on when this posts at uh, on August 8th. So it is, it'll be out everywhere. I think this comes out right after that. So that'll be perfect. Yay. Ah, what an auspicious day. Um, Eight, eight. (laughs) I love, I love, I love a double, double. Um, Amazing. Um, Anything else? Anything else they should be looking out for, Daniel? Um, That's the big one. You know, if you've got a a middle schooler in your life, I've got a, um, the second book in the Graveyard Girls uh, series coming out in October. Sweet. Oh, we love that. Oh, yeah. That's called Scream Scream for the Camera. That one's called. I got got your whole family taken care of, basically. You sure do. Something for everyone at danielkraus.com. Check it out. And if you want to check us out, you can find us all over the internet at Horror Movie Survival Guide. You can find us on, you know, your Instagram, your Twitter, your Facebook, all the things, all the internets. Um, And you can also get some merch from us at our Teespring store. And we would love it if you rate us, review us, if you love the show. And if you don't love the show, either way, just send us us your comments, questions, concerns. You can also um, join us on our Patreon uh, at Horror Movie Survival Guide, you know, Patreon slash Horror Movie Survival Guide. Anything else, Julia? I had a wonderful time talking to you both today, and I hope that you wish you both all the luck in the world, and I hope you don't get eaten by a whale or bumped by an orca. Oh, my God. Yeah, same. Honestly, same. Be careful out there, kids. <laughs> Be careful in the ocean when you go diving or whatever you do. Thank you so much, Daniel. We appreciate you. Have a wonderful week. My pleasure. You too. Thank you for listening. Horror Movie Survival Guide is independently produced by Terry Gamble, Julia Marchesi, and Sierra Ryan. Hey, that's me. If you would like to support the show, find us on patreon.com slash horror movie survival guide.